today, we need to talk about one top 10 upset, Ohio State coming from behind to win, and just what is going down at the big house. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we need to recap week nine in the day that is college football Saturday, just two days before we get the first initial college football playoff selection show rankings for which we're going to find out who the national champion is in just, my goodness, throw over two months time. Coming up on us really quickly here, or so it seems, because I have the shortest season and the longest off season. So I'm always kind of miffed when we get to November and it's like, doggone it, we're already nine weeks into the season. And today we got to start with the big new kickoff game, which ended up being what I think is quite honestly a classic, just outstanding. Number two, Ohio State rallies to beat number 13, Penn State, 44 to 31 on the road. And this game was dramatic. Going into the fourth quarter, as a matter of fact, the Buckeyes end up <laughs> scoring 28 in the fourth quarter to win this game. But it starts with, my goodness, uh, Ohio State gets off to what we thought is, you know, a decent enough start. But they've been starting slow most of the year, so much so that we're coming to expect them to come on strong in the second half. But after going down by 10 points, Penn State came alive. And I just did not expect to see the kind of Sean Clifford effort that I saw today. When he wasn't throwing interceptions, he was operating really well. Katron Allen came on strong there toward the end. Nick Singleton doing what he can. But the guy who was absolute in putting Penn State on his back, Parker Washington, my goodness, had the game of his life here. I think it's 11 catches, 179 yards in this one. And some of these were circus catches against an Ohio State defense that we now know is not flawless and has some shoring up to do, specifically – at the cornerback positions. They are not as strong there as they have been in years past. Tanner McAllister even having one of the worst games of his career after putting together one of the best games of his career last week. It just did not look like Buckeye football back there in the secondary as Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley were having their way back there along with Brent Strange. But what was really interesting for me is how this game turned around in the second half after Penn State went up 21 to 16. By the way, the 31 points that Penn State was able to score on Ohio State is the most that the Buckeyes have given up all season. And all through this game, I kept asking two things. Why is Ryan Day running the football? And when is the Buckeye offense that I know going to come alive? And sure enough, when they needed him most, Travion Henderson hits the home run for the TD to put them back in front and to make this a ball game once again. I've said it before, the Ohio State offense is less like a sports car and more like a lightning strike. You feel it quick, fast, and in a hurry, it's a thunderclap. My goodness, when they come on, they come on strong. And quietly, C.J. Stroud does not look great in this game. As a matter of fact, I would say he even looked sometimes confused, even pedestrian. But the stat line is ridiculous. 26-33, 354 yards through the air with a TD. And of course, 185 of those receiving yards are to one Marvin Harrison Jr., who I believe at the very least is going to be a Litnikoff Award finalist, if not 
a Bolitnikoff Award winner because this dude has just been outstanding in clutch situations for Ohio State. It's so much so that we're watching the game and you know that Ohio State needs to get a first down or they need somebody to make a big catch. And it's Marvin Harris, this dude wearing 18 that CJ Stroud is going to go looking toward. And he kept coming up big for the Buckeyes and Brian Hartline, especially there toward the end. Mayan Williams got him off started with a scoring TD. He also scores on his birthday. He turned 21 today. Happy birthday to Mayan Williams, but needed to leave the game due to injury. Ryan Day says he should be all right. We're also looking at this game going, could they have done with Jackson Smith and Jigba on offense? And the answer is always yes, right? But he did not travel, and he was not available, which is another way of me saying this is the Ohio State offense and, frankly, defense that you are seeing without what is probably their best player in one Jackson Smith and Jigba. Imagine what this offense might look like once they get back their true number one receiver. Maybe that's Marvin Harrison Jr. We'll see. But the dude that was their number one last year who had 95 catches for over 1,600 yards and 347 in the Rose Bowl and a win against Utah. Okay? You could do with having that dude back, especially if you get back a healthy Mayan Williams to go along with Trey Henderson who also needed to carry the load. This has been really cool for me to see for Tony Alford and his running back group. Both Trey Henderson and Mayan Williams have been unavailable at points this season. And both of those guys have had to pick each other up, and they've had each other's back all the way through. Penalties really did hurt Ohio State in the fourth quarter. Uh, Penn State's kicker also missed two kicks that might have changed the course of this game. We saw some really outstanding play calls from Mike Yersich. Shout out to going to the oop-de-oop twice in this game. That is the diamond formation, four wide receivers to the outset, and then you have the fullback at times spread out one-on-one, throwing slants to the fullback, against an Ohio State secondary and making it happen. Sean Clifford, I thought, played outstanding football himself, really acquitted what I thought was a great performance for him today, but also needing to play the game of his life came up just a little bit short. You're not going to win too many football games when you lose the turnover battle, and that's what it came down to for me, watching the Ohio State Buckeyes come from behind. As the dude at the center of it is defensive end JT Tuimaloao. So I want to take a moment here to talk about JT turnovers because I haven't seen a man play this kind of game from the defensive line position in maybe over a decade. Probably take it back to Indomitian Sue because the stat line that he was able to put together is one thing, right? And we will show you that as you're watching on YouTube or on the Fox Sports app. But the thing that I really want to put in front of you is that whatever Larry Johnson Sr. is getting paid... It ain't enough because between JT turnovers and Zach Harrison, you had outstanding defensive line play when you absolutely needed outstanding defensive line play. You're talking about guys that were tipping passes to each other and picking them off. You're talking about defensive linemen with hands like defensive backs, dudes that are getting off the ball and get to the quarterback to strip the ball, to recover the ball, to take it back, to score TDs in the fourth quarter alone. JT turnovers is responsible for 21 points for the Ohio State Buckeyes in a game where they absolutely needed every last one of those 21 points to win in Happy Valley, a place that is always going to be difficult for Ohio State to win. But somehow they keep coming up big and it's because they can go get studs like JT turnovers to come to Ohio State to do exactly this. As a matter of fact, he told this to Jenny Taft in the lead up to the game. I really love playing for Larry Johnson Sr. He reminds me of my granddad. He's the kind of dude that I love to learn from. And you can see 
He is taking what he has taught and he is putting it into action. Outstanding hands for this man wearing number 44 as they scored 44. And what I think is going to go down is perhaps the best game by a defensive lineman for an Ohio State Buckeye since Chase Young and the best game that I've seen from an Ohio State defensive lineman maybe ever, right? I mean, I got to take it back to Dominic Tsu, what he did in 2009 when I'm talking about how a defensive lineman might have dominated the game. But for him to do it in crunch time, specifically in the fourth quarter there toward the end, as he also was helping the offense get back onto the football field after they're going three and out, you can't say enough good things about what JT Tui Maloal was, was able to do. And this is for an Ohio State defense that was skunked with a defensive player of the week in the Big Ten all of last year, Tommy Eichenberg, Got that started off. He's won it twice, I believe, this season. And then, I mean, Gus said it on the broadcast, and we're all just echoing it. Yeah, JT Tuimolau is going to be your defensive player of the week in the Big Ten. And I believe a dude that has vaulted himself into the conversation for the Bed and Eric Award, which goes to the best defensive player in all of college football. Outstanding play for an outstanding player. A guy that took his recruitment all the way up to the line, like we're talking about July of 2021, when this dude decides to commit on television to Ohio State, shows up there last year and has continued to blossom into a player. They've also got Jack Sawyer over there when Zach Harrison goes to the NFL. You got to see Tommy Eichenberg fight through some adversity day. He gave up a big TD to Katron Allen, where he just frankly got run over and ran through in a game that was really tight, bounced back from it, saw the Ohio State defense bend but not break. They're my number one team in uh, my rankings from last week, and I dare say they'll be the number one team in my rankings tomorrow, but we'll have much more to say about the Ohio State Buckeyes as it looks like the game that is Ohio State-Michigan on November 26th could produce the national champion this season. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that, and that's a great way to transition from Ohio State coming back to beat Penn State on the road to number four Michigan taking care of Michigan State 29-7. to This was a very workmanlike performance for Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines. They won playing the kind of football that he loves to play. We're going to run the ball. We're going to control the, the offense. We're going to control you on defense. We're going to take what you give us. We're going to take our field goals, and we're going to take this win, and we're going to go home. It felt like every time Michigan had the ball, they were forcing Mel Tucker to make some hard decisions. Are you going to try to go for it on fourth and goal or inside of your own 20 to try to get in front, to try to get an edge at the big house? Are you going to keep trying to throw the ball up to Keon Coleman and hope that he keeps winning those one-on-one matchups? Are you going to just try to trust Peyton Thorne to figure this out through the air as opposed to continue to try to go back to the ground where they have really missed the presence of Kenneth Walker III, who is doing great work for the Seattle Seahawks right now, but also was able to average about 136 yards on the ground. They just don't have that in the backfield this year, even though they had two tailbacks that I really enjoy in Jalen Berger transferring from Wisconsin, Jerick Broussard transferring from Colorado, best player on that Colorado team last year. They just weren't able to move the football, but also against this Michigan defense led by Jesse Minter in what is delightfully called the uh, Ravens to Wolverines exchange program. We're getting to see that it doesn't seem to matter that Jesse Minter is in year one at Michigan, or even that Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss are in year one together at Michigan. They're playing complimentary football at the big house. And frankly, all of their games that have been big have been at the big house, but that is no shade. That's just to say, having 107,000 people in your corner 
means a little something extra, especially when you're trying to take over this mental hurdle that is Michigan State, who has more or less had Michigan's number since about 2008. I believe going into this game, Michigan State is about 5-2 and two against them uh, when they're going to the big house. Also, Mel Tucker was 2-0, and oh, right, against Jim Harbaugh so far going into this and all coming off the 11-win season last year where they very much marched over the top of Michigan's dead body to a New Year's Six Bowl berth. But this season, it feels like we're going to be talking about Michigan and Ohio State right up until November 26th, and they could be number one, number two in the rankings by the time they play because that's just the nature of how the schedules are breaking down. Blake Quorum went over 1,000 yards rushing this season in this game. Outstanding performance for a Heisman front runner and contender. As a matter of fact, between him and C.J. Stroud, you got two of the best players in the country right there, and that dude can run hard. He can run fast. If you are not gap sound, he's going to find it. He's going to exploit it. And with that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line coach that is Ron Moore, they're continuing to find lanes for him and get him the football in spaces. They're allowing J.J. McCarthy time to work. He can also benefit from perhaps having a run game they can depend on. They don't have to force the ball down the field. Other guys like Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Ronnie Bell, they can take it all in stride. Where will Michigan be ranked on Tuesday's college football playoff rankings? It's a very interesting question to ask. I don't have them any worse than number four, but I honestly think they're going to be at number three when we go and take a look at what the eye test does for the selection committee because that's what we're going to discuss here, right? We can take a look at the blind resumes and we can take a look at the rank wins, but what it comes down to is do you think that Michigan could beat this team or that team? And I think right now I'm comfortable with them at number three and I'm comfortable with them staying there, all things considered and all things staying the same until they play Ohio State on November 26th. A lot is going to come down to what goes on in that game. Again, Michigan State just doesn't have it this year. And I, I really wanted them to have it. I thought that Mel Tucker was in a position to really take it forward. Got that big contract and that big extension. Scotty Hazleton seemed to have a, a real bead on what the defense could or could not do. But against a very sound Michigan offense and defense, they're just outmatched, right? I mean, straight up and out of the gun. Now, they're going to try to go into November and see if they can't continue this pace. But after starting off against a really, quite honestly, soft non-conference schedule, they have acquitted themselves in much the way the SEC schedule does, right? We play a tough schedule in the Big Ten. We don't have to schedule anybody in the non-conference because the Big Ten is just that tough. That's what they tell us in the SEC. And it works just fine for them. Good for you, Michigan. You're going to be undefeated going into these college football playoff rankings and right back in a position to get back to the playoff for the second time in as many years. All right. From that game, let's go to the SEC. The biggest game in the SEC. Number three, Tennessee throttles. Number 19, Kentucky, 44-6. to Cedric Tillman was back for this game, and I think it really gave Tennessee a mental edge against Kentucky. A team they beat 45-42 in a shootout last year, but only had the ball for 17 minutes in that game. And then Jalen Hyatt, again, from the jump, going off. Also a dude that I think is going to be soundly in the conversation for the Bolitnikoff Award as a finalist. He set the single-season receiving touchdown record for Tennessee in this game. You'll remember he had, he had five touchdowns against Alabama. <laughs> 200 yards receiving like what are we what are we doing here when we're talking about the dude that needs a name image and likeness deal from a hotel stat right now going off like he has been Kentucky was overmatched in this game and I did not expect them to be this overmatched 
by Tennessee. Really, this was a statement game for Tennessee. And a conversation about where they are going to be in the college football playoff is impending. Uh, also, can we can we quietly uh, this point that producer Cat made in our in our show meeting? Can we talk about Tennessee having a defense? Like honestly, uh, giving up just six. Now I know Will Levis is banged up, and by Christmas he's going to be so banged up that he's going to be mummified and not going through any of the NFL draft workouts because he's going to be so hurt. Then he's going to get drafted in the first round. We'll see what it goes, but. They were getting to him, and frankly, they were also getting to into the backfield. This was not unexpected because most people that are watching Kentucky football will tell you offensive line has not been great, but they're also overlooking what Bryson Young has meant on that defensive line for Tennessee. And more than anything, nobody says Tim Banks' name out loud. Like we're, I know we're offensive-minded because it's easier to do, and the highlights are great, and I love talking about them too. And Josh Heupel is the head coach of Tennessee, and I obviously have some history there. But my goodness, Tim Banks has been coaching his behind off as a defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Volunteers. And he is the reason why many of us believe that perhaps it's within reason to think that Tennessee could beat Georgia. I'm not one of those. I said many of us, meaning college football fans. I think that Georgia's still going to beat them in that game. But I'm here to be wrong. That's fine. Tennessee is maybe wrong. Well, gets Alabama. Right, and they've got the most ranked wins of anybody in college football with five. So if we're looking at this, we're going, hey, you had three interceptions, you had three sacks in this game, and Will Levis. And we're looking at this, we're going, you put up 44 in a game where the offense was not in sync. Frankly, a nice comp to Ohio State. Your offense is playing bad football. You still drop 40 on people. That's a good look for you. I'm just not completely sold on Tennessee being great, man. It's been a while. Yeah, I got to take it back to T. Martin. The last time I was sold on Tennessee being great. You know, like it's just, it's a tough sell, especially with Georgia being what Georgia is, right? It seems like Georgia is going to show up for the people that they need to show up for and nobody else this year. Okay, we're young. We're going to put 22, get put on our skull by Kent State. We're going to go down by 10 to Missouri, a same Missouri that knocked off a top 25 South Carolina beat A&M last week. And then we'll show up for Florida and we'll beat them down, right? Like that's what it's going to be. For Tennessee, you're going to have to beat Georgia to get our respect. You're going to have to get in the SEC championship. And I think there are two ways for Tennessee to make the college football playoff right now. You get into the SEC championship undefeated, maybe take an L to Alabama, or you win the SEC championship and maybe go in there as the number one seed based on what your resume is. But if we're looking at resumes, I would point you to Texas Christian, and then we're just going to have a fist fight, aren't we? Right? Because like that's what it's going to come down to. Um, I need it to be November 6th already, guys. I need Tennessee and Georgia to play. I need Alabama and LSU to play because I'm already losing my mind with what these rankings are going to be. I got people that think that Tennessee should be number one. I got the, I got people that think that Texas Christian is undervalued. I've got people thinking that Georgia is undervalued because, well, haven't you seen what they've done against people that they care about? Meanwhile, all Tennessee has done is win. You're looking at a resume. You want to put them there. I'm not going to fight you if they are your number one team but they're going to have to prove it next Saturday. So do you want to look funny for putting them at number one and them getting beat down? Or do you want to save it for when they actually beat the defending national champs and then put them at number one? Because I would rather the latter. But then again, I'm the dude that's always looking after myself going, is this take going to hold up? No, I'm not. You know me. I'm just going to say what I feel and how I feel it. And when it's true, it's true. All right. So number number 22, Kansas State, blows out number nine, Oklahoma State. 48 to zero. I got a hard time keeping it together. All right. This game was 35-0 at half. Whatever. And not just that. 
Will Howard, I'm sorry, Will Howard comes out and absolutely takes apart Oklahoma State's defense. And the thing that made them worthwhile this year, right? Derek Mason picking up where Jim Knowles left off. No, no, sir. We're going to show up with the number two quarterback, a game time decision, and we're going to tell him and Deuce Vaughn, go to work, please. Outstanding performance by Kansas State in this game. The Deuce was, in fact, loose 22 carries, 176 yards, two total touchdowns. My goodness, dude. Short King Mama A. Like, I love watching that dude play football. And I point this out every time we have a Kansas State highlight on the show. That man is the only returning first team AP All American in this entire Podunk conference. That's it. Just Deuce Vaughn doing Deuce Vaughn things. The revenge of one Darren Sproles, the heir apparent to the Darren Sproles, having so much fun watching this dude play. Also, excuse me, Oklahoma State fans, I, R.J. Young of Tulsa, Oklahoma, OU fan, am no longer accepting submissions for smoke from you. We're done now. We're, we're, we're done. Done. Don't want to hear nothing. No, no. Skunked. 48-0. But Kansas State, really? Really? I was all fun and games with Kansas State dropped 41 on Oklahoma, right? Oh, Oklahoma fell off. Oklahoma bad. How do you lose to Kansas State? My goodness, they got beat by Tulane. They got beat by Texas Christian. How are you going to lose to them? Look at you. Look, 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 look at you now. Look at you now. Mm-hmm. See? See? We in a dumpster together. Because the Oklahoma State champs are in Manhattan, Kansas. Stupid. Kansas State has dropped a combined 89 points on Oklahoma and Oklahoma A&M. Like, what are we doing here, right? It's almost like Bill Snyder has showed up to be like, remember, I was doing this on the regular in the early aughts. And Chris Kleiman won national championships, plural, at North Dakota State. And all of a sudden, Colin Klein looking like one of the better quarterback coaches and coordinators in all of college football. Think what he's done with Adrian Martinez and the kind of performance that he got out of Will Howard today. I want to say 296 yards through the air, four TDs. Goodness gracious, against the number nine team in the country? The largest margin of victory against an AP top 10 opponent in Kansas State history. That's today. Also, put that right next to the banner where y'all got Army's National Championship over there in Boone Pickett's. I, uh, yes, this is for you. And we're, yes, no more smoke from you. None. As we say on the fourth floor at Oklahoma State in the English department, submissions are closed. We're closed now. No more smoke from Oklahoma State. Kansas State moves to number two in the Big 12 conference. Looks like all things remain the same. It's going to be them and Texas Christian for the Big 12 championship title and maybe for Texas Christian, a spot in the college football playoff. Talk about that just a little bit later on the show. Moving on to my Oklahoma Sooners, beating Iowa State 27-13. to 13. This probably is my favorite play of the game. <laughs> this fake field goal right here, reminiscent of 2013 in Grant Botham. I love this. Flick it. Peter Smith, run it through. Right through the red jerseys. I love that. No, we're not going to the pylon. I'm going to take it right through you. I, I just don't see that kind of mocks from a kicker very much. Shout out to Zach Schmidt for showing out. Then you're talking about an Oklahoma defense that for the first time all season began to resemble the kind of thing that Brent Venables thought we would be getting from the jump in the Big 12, right? Now, a couple caveats here. 
Yes, they had three interceptions, three takeaways, right? And Danny Stutzman is an absolute monster on that defense. Jalen Redman had a great game. Ethan Downs had some great plays. But the thing to take away here is that you played great defense against the worst offense in the Big 12, okay? Hunter Deckers threw the ball more than 50 times. Still put up doggone near 300 yards. It ain't, it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty is what I'm saying. Now, it's prettier than giving up 40-plus in your past three games. That is prettier than that. I like giving up just 13 to anybody at this point. But also, 5-3, and three, one away from bowl eligibility, right? Can get there next week. And then we're back on track, right? We're talking about getting 8-9, maybe 10 wins in Brent Venables' year one. Shout out to Brent Venables this, word, this week. He had a great quote, which is, we could win every game, we could lose every game. And there were some people that took that out of context, right? I know what Brent Venables means. He means that the game is going to reward you for your effort. Football's hard. Football's damn hard. And if you don't show up and treat it with the proper amount of respect, yeah, anybody can hand you an L. Anybody can beat you on any Saturday. And Brent Venables is not a man to cheat the game. And he won't let you cheat the game. And he won't let you believe that you're better than you are and might even remind you that you're not as good as you could be. I like that message. I really like that that man is not shook. None of this is getting under his skin. And he doesn't look at four and three and say, oh, we must be bad. No, he looks four and three. He says, okay, there's some work for us to do. Let's go to work. That's all that man does. He works and works and works. Kind of dude that can't even bask in a great win. Needs to go home and start preparing for the next opponent the very same day because that's just how he's wired. Speaking of Kansas State, that's where that dude played football playing for Bill Snyder, right? Playing for the kind of guy that did not really enjoy any win. Man wore the same Fiesta Bowl, or excuse me, Cotton Bowl windbreaker for years and Cortez is for years because he couldn't get over <laughs> how his season ended for years. Love that about him. Love that about the head coach at Oklahoma. OU giving up, oh my goodness, just 13 after giving up 49, 41, 55, like, oh my goodness, uh, th that, that feels good to say out loud. Also, quietly, Oklahoma's won 23 out of its last 25 against Iowa State. Shout out to the Cyclones. I know they're 0-4, you know, uh, in, in conference play. I know that. I know that they aren't good in the win-loss column. There's nothing good to say about it, but it's a tough football team, and they played tough football today. Will McDonald's still a star. I think he's going to be an outstanding pro. I think Hunter Deckers is going to pick it up. And he's going to be better next year. And we're going to see Matt Campbell continue to do what Matt Campbell does, which is take these dudes and make them into a football team that is capable of winning major bowl championships and playing in the Big 12 championship game. They'll be back. Give us some time. You're just going to cycle through Iowa State. It's going to be all right. Number seven, excuse me, number seven, Texas Christian, holds off West Virginia 41-31. This game actually was a little bit dramatic. Texas Christian's down by four at half to West Virginia, who – like Iowa State ain't a bad football team. They stay one no, as many games as anybody else, right? Like, you take a look at them, you lose C.J. Donaldson, that means something. But I love watching Texas Christian do what they have had to do most of the year, which is find a way to win, find a way to pull something out. And with Max Duggan at quarterback doing the doggone thing, I mean, JT Daniels had an opportunity to try to win this game for them late, didn't go his way. But goodness me, Max Duggan finding ways to hit Tay Barber, finding ways to get Kendra Miller to ball, who has 11 rushing TDs this season. Texas Christian is off to its first 8-0 start since 2015, gets its first win against West Virginia since 2017. And the Sunny Dykes 
air raid is still so much fun to watch. We're talking about four plays of 50 yards or more. Three of those were for TDs. Max Duggan goes for over 300 yards passing a game again. And again, blind resume here. If I put Texas Christian up to Tennessee and I told you four rank wins, five rank wins, both teams averaging over 40 points a game. Both teams are undefeated. You would tell me that Texas Christian is a top four team. You put them ahead of Michigan. You might even put them ahead of Georgia. But if I tell you that a TCU, you're also going to be like, no, nah, they're not beating Texas. They're not beating Georgia. They're not beating Michigan. Hell, they're not even beating USC. But you're trying to give them credit. And that's what I'm going to do. Try to give them credit for what they have done. It's going to be a tough road for them. Because even now, you'll pick Alabama to beat Texas Christian on the eye test. Because that's what we're talking about. The committee doesn't put the best teams into the playoff. They put the best available teams in the playoff. According to whatever criteria they have. Where there's conference championships, ranked opponent wins. What do your eyes tell you? And that's when I start to lose my mind a little bit. Because my eyes say something different than your eyes. And I've seen the game a little bit differently. Because, well... I'm a different damn person, and that's why we need a 12-team playoff because you know me. I'm the dude that was caping to expand the playoff, and now that they've done it, I can't get it here quick enough because I want to see Texas Christian go out the right way, which should get beat down by Georgia like everybody else. They, they deserve, deserve the same right, the same right to go into the Rose Bowl, to go into overtime and lose twice to a dude named Jake Fromm. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. All right, quick hitters right quick before we get out. Number one, Georgia outlast Florida 42-220. Stetson Bennett looked pedestrian at best, 19-38, 316, two TDs, two INTs. Georgia rushed for 239 yards. But the take for me is Brock Bowers does more to cover Stetson Bennett's behind than any man has ever done to cover another man's behind. I'm telling you, call that man Michael Clayton because all he's doing out here is fixing. Stetson Bennett ain't nobody. Brock Bowers is somebody. Darnell Washington is somebody. Dejan Edwards is somebody. Kenny McIntosh is somebody. The offensive line, the defense, they're somebody. Stetson Bennett to force a dude. I'm tired of having to talk about this dude like he's like he's something special here. I'm looking at this. The man is throwing football passes off of Florida's helmets, and Brock Bowers is like, cool, I got it. I'll scoop it. Whatever. He's throwing jump balls, and the tight end from Napa is absolutely sunning these people. Let's talk about Stetson Bennett. More talk about everybody else. That's the take, okay? Number eight, Oregon, Rolls Cal, 42-24. Bo Nix is the man we thought Anthony Richardson would be. Oh, my God. Look, 27-35, 412 yards, three TDs, two INTs. If you watch Utah versus Florida, you're like, nah, Anthony Richardson, that, that, that dude, AR, he can go. No, AR just misfire. That's what AR is doing. AR is jamming and misfiring. Just, just throwing it to everybody. Can't have that. Can't have that in Florida. Now, we 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 got to settle down here at the number one college football show because, well, there's a Tennessee fan on staff, and I remember January 8, 2009, and I would never let it go. So we got to be very measured about what we say about Florida and may, maybe keep between the lines. But doggone it, man. Y'all had a chance. Yeah, you had a chance to go out there and show everybody what's really good for the Gators in Athens, and you squandered it. You squandered it. Damn, Billy Napier. I could see Jack Miller at any time. It's fine. Okay. Cal, me, Cal's not a good football team, but Oregon could run the table, win the Pac-12 championship. Question I have is, a 46-point loss in Atlanta to Georgia. Can you come back from that? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. I think one loss Oregon is going to be great in the Rose Bowl. That's what I think. All right. Uh, last game to put hit on right quick is Louisville. 
destroys. It's in the rundown. Destroys number 10 Wake Forest, 48-21. I watched, like, I watched Dave Lawson just beside himself angry. Just so angry watching this game. Wake Forest had eight turnovers in the second half. Eight. Eight. Oh, my God. Most turnovers by an FBS team in a half over 50, the last 15 seasons. Eight turnovers in two quarters. Yeah. Also in the rundown, the ACC is bad. All right, let me let me let me let me make make this clear to y'all because we're doing this show. When I last looked, North Carolina was trailing the pit. So, Clemson, that's all y'all got. That's all y'all got. And now Clemson's best win is North Carolina State. North Carolina State had to pull out a win against Virginia Tech, and they ain't even got no Devin Leary left. That's before we start talking about Syracuse. It's like, okay, Syracuse might be good. Mm-mm, no, no, uh-uh. Drew Pine. Drew Pine led Notre Dame to a win against Syracuse. Put up 40-plus on Syracuse. On Syracuse. Mm-mm. Tell the J school on the East Coast, you can lead a chat now. It's fine. We're back to playing real football now, okay? You and Northwestern, y'all can go play each other, okay? Playing the J school bowl. We're back to playing football here on a number one college football show. Man, I'm having a good time. All right, tomorrow, I'm going to record the show for Monday with Michigan's Big Ten Network's Jake Butt. We'll have his thoughts about Michigan's, well, workmanlike performance against Michigan State. We'll also go through my top 25 ahead of the college football playoff. I have some questions about what we expect to see from the college football playoff selection committee on Tuesday night when we were doing a live show. And a selfish RJ plug, my book comes out on November 1st. Please go buy it wherever you buy your books. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Monday. Deuces. <laughs>